WFAE's David Borax has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. Episode 62, we welcome Matthew Ridenauer on to talk about his race for the 9th Congressional Primary. We talk about the UNC Charlotte tragedy and the manager's proposed budget. <laughs> Episode 62 of R&D in the QC, and we have a very special one for you, ladies and gentlemen. Larkin, who do we have in the studio, my 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 faithful sidekick? <laughs> You're such an idiot. Um, <laughs> we have Matthew Ridenauer, former Mecklenburg County Commissioner, current candidate for the Republican nomination in the 9th U.S. Congressional District. And that primary, uh, and the Republicans are the only party that has a primary. There's a Libertarian, I think a Green Party candidate, and a Democrat running unopposed in their primaries. The, the Republicans have how many, Matthew? Ten. Ten people running for the Republican nomination. And the Democrats could only come up with one. That's Whoa. so sad. <laughs> it's so sad. Not a lot of competition, I nah. guess. So uh, your primary is a week from tomorrow. It is next Tuesday. Uh, if someone gets 30%, they will move on to a general election against Dan McCready and the two other candidates in September. If not, you'll have a runoff. Tell us how that's going to go down next Tuesday and tell us how it's been for you running for the ninth congressional uh, nomination in the Republican Party. Yeah, well, thanks for, thanks for having me on the show uh, today. I appreciate it. Um, it's been a, a, a crazy sprint over the last couple of months. Uh, you know, normally for a campaign like this, you're trying to pack in uh, the meetings and the Elk Lodge meetings and uh, going from one side of the county or the district to the other. Um, but you've got months and months to do that and uh, fundraise and, and develop a ground game and, and all that. But uh, with a sprint like this, it's really you flip the switch and say, OK, I'm running. And you've got to have those pieces of the puzzle together pretty quickly, which um, fortunately I was I was able to do. So um, it's been it's been a wild ride. Not a lot of time off burning the candle at both ends. But uh, my wife, Abby, has been very supportive. She keeps the, the home running and uh, uh, keeps things, you know, keeps the kids where they need to be on time and, and make sure that I'm, you know, getting sleep when I can and things like that. Is so it she's crazier. Is it crazier than the races you've run in the past? Uh, it has, it has been, yeah, because I mean, one, sure, there's the magnitude of it, but then two, it, there geography. are so many places you've got to be. Exactly, the geography of, hey, we've got a meeting out in Cumberland County next week to go to, and that's you know, pack well, it up for two. Drive? Is it a three-hour drive across the it's district? Like, uh, usually about two and a half. Yeah. Well, the Monroe Bypass helps out a lot, so yeah, that shaves a good bit of time the off this week. I'm looking forward to it. That's oh, great. It's fantastic. All right. What, so, what about what about the partisanship of like the the issues, the national level issues. Is that a little more brutal than maybe what we've done at municipal or you've done at a county level before? Sure. I mean, I, I, to, to some degree, uh, but we haven't really experienced too much of the partisanship to the questions yet and the issues that we're facing because we're still in a Republican primary. Right. So right now, most of those questions that were being asked at candidate forums and things like that, we're all relatively in agreement with each other on the issues, more or less. But we all frame our positions differently, of course. And, and occasionally on there are some issues where we've got some daylight between the candidates. But for example, on a second amendment question or uh, 
or a, 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 an abortion rights you know issue or something like that, then we're all going to be Or is Chris close. Anglin really a Republican? Well, we're pretty much in lockstep there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bet Chris is. I think it's pretty solid, right? Um, the lawsuit's been lost. So let's pare down this field a little bit. It's 10 people, but it's there's not 10 viable candidates here. What do you think? We just finished up both the Democratic and Republican Party, and for that matter, the Libertarian Party, just finished up their primaries in the special election that was called for the 3rd Congressional District, um, where Walter Jones passed away recently. And in that race, there was a similar situation to what you're facing in your race, which is that a lot of people don't live in the district. And a lot of folks don't realize this. Most of us, when you ran in a county commission district, when Tark and I ran in city council districts, you have to live in your district. In United States congressional seats, you don't. You just have to live in the state um, that rep- that you are representing, would be representing in Congress, but you can live anywhere in the state and run for any district. A lot of people don't know that. Five of the Republicans in your race, and many of the people who ran in the third, don't live in the district. How fair of a criticism is it to say that someone who doesn't live in the district can't well represent and the district? And how much is it impacting them right and, now, those who are out of And it? there's a couple in your race that are very, very close, but not in it, and then there's some that are 100 200 miles away. Sure. Does that make a difference? Is there some where you go, well, you're close, and so you could represent the district, or should should we get to a place where you have to live there to represent it and run for it? I think it's a fair question. I absolutely think you need to live in the district to represent that district. Um, otherwise, I mean, frankly, you look like an opportunist who's coming along who wants to run for a seat in Congress um, simply because it's an open seat and you think you've got a shot at it. Well, if you live in the 8th district and you really want to serve in Congress because you feel ke- called to serve in Congress, wonderful. Why aren't you primarying Richard Hudson? Oh, uh, because did you hear that, Richard? He's <laughs> telling people to primary you. <laughs> no, no, he's doing a <laughs> great for you. He's doing a great job, but that's the thing, yeah, right? He's a he's a strong uh, conservative. He's got a good name ID. Uh, he's got uh, he's been doing some great work there. So of course, opportunists don't want to take on someone like that. But instead, they see, well, I've got this this district open seat, seat open over here, if, you know, a few miles down the road or a hundred miles down the road. I'll just run for that instead. And so I think it's a fair criticism of folks for sure. So that cuts the field to five. Right. So who's the craziest? <laughs> we know that that's great, Gary Dunn. And I'm certain he doesn't watch this because I I think he's declared in his email threads that he always sends us. We have, he, I don't think do, he has a smartphone. How do Larkin and I get off this guy's email distribution? I mean, it's the craziest. I, if any of I don't our want listeners you to respond to any of this, yeah. I just need to get it <laughs> off my chest Although it wouldn't hurt you. Right <laughs> but if any of our watchers or listeners haven't familiarized themselves with Gary Dunn, please Google Gary Dunn Charlotte. He's a perennial candidate. And, and I'll be honest, Matthew, you're a nice guy, but he's the most entertaining guy in this race. No, listen, you say that because you're over there with your Democrat friends oh, no, he used on to be, top of no, your big no, mo- he's run. You know, treasure chests no. of money, yeah. and you're just laughing at this. Chips. For those of us over here, it's not that fun. No, he, Gary has run for office as a Democrat before as well. Well, why can't we have that again? Because it wouldn't matter. All right, let's, let's, let's get back to the question. Now that we've talked about Gary Dunn. On social media, because we're live streaming this, please do chime in if you have questions for Matthew that we can answer or ask him. But um, it, you mentioned earlier there is some daylight between you and some of the other candidates that you're seeing in different uh, debates and forums. You know, get, Walk us through a couple of those areas. What differentiates you from the positions that a lot of your other competitors have taken? Sure. Uh, so I think on uh, I think on questions dealing with foreign policy, for example, um, there is def- there are definitely varying answers amongst the GOP candidates. So some folks have a more um, a, a more uh, hawkish approach to foreign policy and and uh, geo rising geopolitical threats around the globe. 
and others like me uh, kind of take more of the philosophy that, that our founders had in this country, and that was uh, trade with many, alliances with few. They believed that trade amongst uh, international nations would actually would naturally bring about peaceful relations because everyone's engaging and in, in vested interest right in, in each other's security and 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 uh, communication and whatnot um, so so then alliances with few so that you're not entangled in battles that are not really yours to fight um, so that's kind of my position but there are others certainly who have a much more hawkish uh, view is that is that view among others <clears throat> one of the reasons why you think you got that Rand Paul endorsement? Is that, I absolutely is that a think line? so. Yeah. Sure. I mean, yes. It feels like it does. Yeah, that and then monetary policy, spending, things like that. Absolutely. Foreign policy and monetary policy, I think, would be why I got his uh, Rand Paul's endorsement. And I'll go ahead and make it official, although we haven't sent out a press release. I uh, just found out that I got, yeah, breaking news. Breaking on, news right here. On our sideshow of a podcast. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this, this, listen in. <laughs> I uh, actually received the endorsement of uh, of uh, uh, Representative Ron Paul as well. So excellent. Yeah, and I will say I'm glad to hear you say that on foreign policy. Um, it was I think one of your military idols, Mad Dog Mattis, that said once, "If uh, if you're going to cut the State Department budget, I'm going to need more bullets mm-hmm. or ammunition." I don't remember if he said bullets or ammunition, but it's it's you know a, a, an ounce of diplomacy is worth a, a pound of defense, and so I. I wish that more of our representatives, and that's not necessarily always a partisan issue either. I think that there are just different schools of thought in both parties along those lines. But I do think that our current administration, I mean, I I would be interested to hear your take on the current administration's approach to foreign policy, um, because in my mind, it has eroded a lot of those relationships that you just spoke of the value of. How does that impact um, what we have to spend in military defense and, and the positions we put ourselves in to end up in in conflicts that we shouldn't be in? Sure. So it's taken me a little while to understand where the president and the administration was going with things like uh, our, our relationships with France or our European allies and, and others. Well, sure. I mean, yeah. And so, but I've, what I've what I've noticed, and it's not just with with the international relations with with things like the, the um, NATO and, and, and whatnot, but it's also with our trade partners with tariffs. It's the same kind of school of thought. I, I'm finally getting it. And that is the president doesn't mind going through a little pain, putting himself, the administration, people, foreign powers, whomever, through a little pa- bit of pain to get the nation in a better spot on the other side. So we'll take an example of our NATO allies. Uh, folks were critical of, of how he handled some of our our allies and seemed a bit dismissive of them. And But ultimately, we now see that what he was trying to do was to get them to spend more on their own defense so that we, the American people, would not be spending as much money on European defense, so that they'd be responsible for more of their own defense spending. So when we look at something like tariffs, tariffs are, 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 are hurting our agriculture agricultural business. It is. I spoke with some folks from the U.S. cotton industry just about a week or so ago, and they said, yes, tariffs right now are hurting the cotton industry. However, our farmers are willing to go through a little bit of pain right now if that means we get better deals with our trade partners on the other end. And so I think that what we're seeing is that's really just his negotiation style. It could be, but that's why I mean, that's what, but it, it, at least we're pushing the envelope and trying something that hasn't been done before because we weren't getting better trade uh, trade uh, agreements but previously. So you think we're in more of a, a power position with North Korea, Russia, China, whoever, than we were three years ago? That were run that by me again? Do you think we're in a more powerful position 
with North Korea or Russia or China or some of these folks than we were because of the current administration's foreign policy? I think we're in as good, if not stronger position, but I don't think that strength is also the only end game we should be working towards. Who's got the stronger position? Uh, I think that we should be working towards how are we as a world how, for our global peace and security? And absolutely, it's better for global peace and security, even regional peace and security, if there are better relations with North Korea, if they dismantle the nuclear program and so on and so forth. Those are That's better, and it, and it can't be measured just simply in are we a stronger in a stronger position than we were three years ago. It's really measured in is the world safer yeah. now than it was three and, years and ago. And you, you can't it, – to bucket all three of those into one comment is impossible. I mean, North Korea, we were on the verge of actual war before this administration took over. Um, uh, Russia uh, – I think there would be, be a healthy altogether. debate as to whether or not we're in a safer position uh, with North Korea. Well, I mean, it, I mean it, I, it, a lot of people would argue that, that – you right and I are swimming out of our depth right We're now. Way out of our depth. But Russia is another story altogether. But China, I mean, th- there's a lot of very interesting things that China is absolutely crushing us in from an economic perspective right now. 5G, a topic very important to this city right now and what we're doing. China is owning that and it's off everyone's radar right now. So all I know is you're wrong, whatever you were saying. <laughs> I've got two I got two tough questions for Hold Matthew. on, the first one, yeah. yeah. Well, Let's let, go. No, Dave, uh, our friend David Borax from WFE has weighed in with a, a technical question. That's on the, true. Um, David, if you hang on to the live stream here, we'll we'll ask that in a second. I got two tough ones for Matthew, uh, but I think fair. If if elected to Congress, your predecessor uh, Robert Pittenger served for I believe six years. What's one thing in his time in Congress that you uh, you strongly agree with, and what's one thing that you would have done differently? Uh, and then my second tough question is. Say something nice that's not related to you both being uh, veterans about Dan McCready. Okay. It's a lot All right. of questions. In a yeah, row. So, could, have, could have split those up. <laughs> so, one thing that Congressman Pittenger did uh, one, uh, actually, this is one that hits home personal. He was phenomenal with constituent services. Oh. If you had an issue, you, regardless of the side of the aisle you're on, you could contact his, his office and they would go to bat and they would do all they could for you. And I think that's really important. I think that's something that gets overlooked by. Uh, a lot of folks they look at they look at you all on city council right and they want constituent services because there's that pothole out front that's yeah, that's, that's 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 that needs to be replaced right outside their their house you or they want a sidewalk my or... primary people sending me a constituent <laughs> request matthew if i do recall last year <laughs> I, I got them from other people and i funneled them to the appropriate yes. person that... well, allow me to introduce you to my friend Tarek. <laughs> yeah. um and, and so but i don't think that folks often as often anyways look at people in D.C. for constituent services unless they need a passport or the kids want to go to a military school or something like that. But um, but I think that's an important part of the job, and he did that uh, very, very well. Uh, something I disagreed with, was that the part of the other question? Uh, the Well, voting to raise the debt ceiling, um, uh, the budget plan a couple of years back, I, I was uh, opposed to that. Um, that was a tricky situation for him and a hard vote, no doubt. So I respect his vote. You either vote for a spending increase, which some of those funds would go to the military, and that's very strong, uh, you know, very uh, important to Republicans and to folks in the district, especially the eastern part of the district near, uh, near Bragg. 
Um, but if he votes against it, then he's voting against those interests. So he, I'm not saying it was an easy vote for him, but that was one where I, I'm, I'm in favor of, of not increasing our spending. So that's one where I disagreed. Let's and go then, to Hold on, a, you didn't answer the other question. I'm, I'm not letting him off the hook that which one? Oh, no. No, that was my favorite question during the presidential race in 2016. Yeah, what, what's like, nice? When they asked Hillary and Trump that, I really respected the question, and I actually think they both did a decent job answering the question. So, so I'm gonna tell us something be, nice. We're about gonna the have we'll game. have Dan on at some point on the show. <laughs> we'll make him say something nice about you as well. Yes. All right. I uh, I I respect. I, I believe his heart is in the right place, and I think that he is truly wanting to serve to try to make the world around us a better place. And I think that that is coming from a good place. Uh, opposed to a lot of folks who run for office and they've got their own ambition or they've only they've got their uh, whatever their self-interest might be in running and I think that he's coming from a good space um, you know I may not just agree with his you know things that he wants to accomplish or his political philosophy or ideology but I can respect somebody for coming from a good place where they want to serve others and, and try to do good work for the people of the United States there I respect that answer. love it you want to ask it. the Borax question? Yes. Yeah, so this question comes from uh, David Borax, our okay. friend of the pod from WFAE. Hello to Matthew. Hello. I'm going to do his. Uh, can I do David Borax? NPR There's voice? no way you can do his voice. What's your expectations? That's not close. What's your expectations for turnout? And how will that affect the results? Wow, fantastic question. So uh, originally we went into this thinking that turnout would be somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty-three to 25,000 voters. Um, but as we are clearly seeing as time goes on, why if I grab this? Please, have some right. water. Yes. Sorry. Constituent the, Mar the Marquio Rubio. I, while you scoot just, forward a little bit as well. Just I just touch. asked my, my, my council member if he had water, and, and he said yes. And and that, that's constituent services. That's right. true. That's true. Unfortunately, what thoughts. he doesn't know is that's the, that's the water I used to brush my teeth with here in the morning, um, and I spit it back in there. Continue. All right, sorry. So we, we, we figured the uh, turnout would be in the neighborhood of twenty two to 25,000, but we've been tracking this every day, and uh, the numbers just aren't there. So we... Uh, it's almost like a weather forecast with the, the, the spaghetti model, right? We Early on, we had all these model predictions of where turnout might be. Is there but... an American and a European model? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so wait, so you're saying I follow the Brad Panovich model. Your the Panovich model. <laughs> Are you saying that? that the turnout has been significantly lower? Now it's significantly lower, yeah. So we've actually lowered that ex that estimate a number of times. Originally, so we've, we dropped it down to about 18,000. Wow. Now we're thinking... 18,000 total. Oh, that was where we were about a week ago. Split. Now we're thinking probably 15,000 on the high end, but more... More likely, ten ways. more likely 12 to 13,000. So what does that make the winning person if they get over 30%? Like, yeah. Four, four, four to 5,000 votes probably that takes it. That is insane. That's getting towards the territory of what we got in our primaries for city council. Exactly. Now, special elections are historically much, much lower than even a primary. But you'd think for Congress, people could get motivated, particularly with how much this has been in the news. It's not like people don't know there's so, so a, let's, let's, a special so, election So going let's on. go over, over the top. And mm -hmm. let's say... Base, let's say that 10,000 votes wins the primary without a runoff. Mm -hmm. Let's just say 10,000. need anywhere near that. Well, let's just, let's just go over the top because I find it really hard to believe that someone gets 4,000 and wins without, without but, a runoff. But 10,000 would mean that total turnout's going to be in the neighborhood of 30,000 then. If 10,000 wins it without a runoff, then that means that you're expecting your next your, down is your, what? Five, four? I would Tark's say, not good at math. Matt, <laughs> I'm great Just get at to math, your question, yeah. and he'll know what you mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I guess the question is, how many, how many, how how important does grassroots campaigning become in that? And since you are kind of known as a as a bit of the the maverick or master of that in in this race, 
how many have you actually already touched or will you touch by the end of this? Yeah. So I think in a low turnout election and, and, and uh, Larkin, you'd actually be surprised. We're going door to door every day, uh, every day. And every day we've got people telling us that they like, Oh, there's an election. When, when's the election? What, what election are you talking about? Um, you'd be surprised. The number of folks. Are, you're not literally yeah. going door to door. You're going based on a list that tells you who mm-hmm. votes in primaries as right. a Republican or an independent. So there's like right. one door and then 70 miles and then another. <laughs> Pretty much. So yeah. For, yeah. People, for people who are listening that, that have not done, this and we all three have these lists are cultivated so that you're knocking on doors of people who typically vote right so it's not just the random citizen that doesn't know you're saying primary voters who are republicans mm-hmm. and independents don't know there's an election going on yeah so, some i mean you yeah. know certainly plenty plenty do but uh the number of folks who were educating on the fact that there is an, a, a, an election is is higher than we would have anticipated but at the same time that's actually good for us because <laughs> if clean, we're the ones clean, uh, right slate God, right. it makes well, you almost wonder like you don't have to give away any secret sauce, even though we're in the final days of the campaign. But like, do you pull odd year lists, like not even your t- traditional congressional lists? I mean, as it surely to who you pulled you, odd you year pull lists. It, you pull like the people who are going to come the out most in the most random uh, elections ever because that's this, right? Yeah, we've, we've pulled A voters, uh, GOP and unaffiliated. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, we've, we've, we, we know the universe and, and, and we're... So what, So to, to your point about grassroots, so I am very fortunate and blessed to have an incredible group of volunteers. Uh, two Saturdays ago, we had 27 people show up to go door to door for a few hours. That day we hit, uh, I think we had 800 and some doors that day. Um, and in 27, you guys are, you've, y'all have done this. That's, that's a lot of volunteers to have show up sure. uh, for a single uh, day of door knocking. And we've Matt, done that consistently. Larkin only had like two <laughs> total. Like, and still oh. one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but, but not only that, we're, we've also got teams out every day that are going door to door. And so we're actually right now, I mean, I, to your point, it is pretty close to the election. So I guess I'll spill some of the details here. Um, we have knocked on over, Let's see. What time is it? <laughs> At this point, we've knocked on over nine thousand doors uh, during the last uh, probably two to three Breaking weeks. News I'm here. unsure why yeah. you had to check the time to say that. Well, yeah, because uh, like, uh, we we, we knock on a thousand an hour. We knock a thousand a day, and we wrap up at eight p.m. Ah, see, and, we're, and it's five to eight right now. Don't ask dumb questions if you're not prepared for, for answers to shut you completely. No, no, down. no, no. no. <laughs> so here's like another that. interesting thing, but with there not being a primary in the Green, Libertarian, or Democratic. Um, run a special election primary here um with there not being a primary in those i actually know some left-leaning independents who voted in y'all's primary because it doesn't impact their ability to vote in our primary later in the year that's a great point i didn't think of and so i was with someone the other day who said uh, and this is a left-leaning independent said they had voted um and and i'll break the news here they voted for matthew because they said look we're breaking a lot of news here, guys. <laughs> admittedly, that no one cares. Probably about. not going to vote for you in, in the in the general. But they said, look, of the people who are running, uh, I've got concerns about several of them. I think this is a level-headed guy, and I, you know, I want to send the best person forward I can, even if I end up voting against him in the general. So it's an interesting circumstance because normally you would, if if you're run, if your primary were, for instance, during our primary, people couldn't vote. Mm-hmm. in both but in this circumstance it doesn't change their ability to vote in our primary in the fall yeah. so it's it's just a very odd timing and with the third going on but not concurrent with yours it's 
it's all, uh, you know, there's a lot of political turmoil in North Carolina right now. Mm-hmm. So Ke- Kevin asked the question, I've noticed that Matthew seems to have a lot of crossover appeal when it comes to independent and even many Democrats who seem to support Matthew. That's not traditionally how someone wins a Republican primary. Has he been criticized for this? And how does he respond to this criticism? <laughs> ah, Kevin, good question. Oh, yeah, we're all familiar with Kevin on social media. <laughs> well, but also we're familiar with being criticized for having uh, having friends across the aisle. Right, uh, right. 100%. Totally sure. agree. Sure. Um, actually, my consultant actually asked if I could just do the pod without you on it. R and R, R and R in the QC. Uh, it, it is. It's a that's a good question, and it, it can be tough. Uh, there are certainly folks out there who think that uh, actually not even just my su- being supported by unaffiliateds and, and and some Democrats, but just coming from Mecklenburg County, there are folks in other counties, Republicans, who think, well, you come City from boy. the gr- yeah, you come from the great state of Mecklenburg. How conservative can you really be? I mean, have you ever grabbed a snake and? I've never wrapped a snake around my neck. By the way, we've invited Stoney on. Hopefully, we'll also have Stoney on this week. We invited Dave. Hopefully, Bishop. he won't bring his snake. <laughs> I want him to bring the snake. I feel like ratings are going to go through the roof. So I told you to Google <laughs> Gary Dunn invited. earlier. Google Stony Rushing snake. Oh, I think pretty it. much everyone's seen that at this point. Also, Dan Bishop, another one of the top three guys in the, in the race right here. We've invited him invited on as well. On. We've not and then back. we also will invite anyone else, uh, including Gary Dunn. Especially Gary Dunn. Especially Gary Dunn, because we want it to be fair. But clearly, you know, both of us know you well. You're a longtime personal friend of mine. I'm supporting you in this race. So um, you were definitely going to be the first one on. And, thank uh, you. Thank you. 100%. Thank you. Well, if I, and if I could go back to Kevin's yeah. question, I, I wanted to also add that uh, because that is a really good question. And I, and I think that there is a lot of criticism of. Uh, of, of Republicans who reach across the aisle and are friends with folks on the other side, just as uh, just like there are criticisms of Democrats who do the same thing. And I think that that's sort of a sad reflection on where we are in politics today, that we only see the other side as enemies and we can't find common ground. So I think part of the reason that I have a lot of support from unaffiliated and some Democrats in Mecklenburg County is um, not because I'm wishy-washy, not because they don't know where I stand on issues. Certainly people know where I stand on the issues. They know I'm a conservative Republican, but they also know one other thing that I've heard time and time again. I don't like to pat myself on the back or toot my own horn, but I, I heard it enough during my six years of service that, that I that, that I feel confident in saying it, that people knew that I would listen to them. And then I'm going to listen to what they have to say. I'm going to analyze the the, 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 the the motion before me or the issue before me from all sides. I'm going to try to understand it as best I can. I'm going to make the decision, the best decision I can with the information that I have. Uh, of course, coming from my uh, you know, my political ideology, where, which means I'm not going to compromise my, my principles. There are certainly things I will not compromise on. But if it's a matter of my wants versus my principles, I think I, it's okay to give a little bit of your wants if that means that we all three walk away from this table fairly satisfied with how we voted and what we got out of this issue at the, on the, at the day, uh, then I think that we're, 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 we're doing all right. Absolutely. When I tell people who, who make, uh, make an issue of Target not even doing this podcast to say if if you aspire for people across the aisle to never speak to each other mm-hmm. and to never work together on anything like what in the world is that where does that leave us I mean mm-hmm. I, I don't know the the idea that people would want the parties to not work together to me is just is really hard yeah. to wrap my head around well and right. and, and there are undoubtedly going to be things where we just dig in and are not going to find common ground but there's uh, as someone said to the two of us today they said. 90, you know, 90% of the votes in most of these bodies, local, state or federal are, 
or unanimous or close to unanimous. There's a lot of things we agree on. It's just mm -hmm. no one's writing news stories about the things that we agree on because that's not interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so to to completely just draw a line in the sand and say, I, I can't work with you, uh, really that precludes a lot of, of things from getting done that are to the benefit of everybody in the in your constituency. So mm -hmm. I uh, I appreciate your, your willingness to work across the aisle. There are plenty of things we disagree on, but I – Respect your service and respect your uh, your willingness to listen and to be on here. I, I promise when we have Dan, we'll make him say something nice about you too. Um, not a one way street, but uh, anything you want to well, say to voters. I want to ask one question first before mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, I I've like I said, we've known each other for a long time. Your service on county commission was um, was something that one I think you did really well, but two was something that was very special to you. I know and we're not that far away from a surprising loss. I mean, I was at your party that night where it was shocking to all of us. And I saw it on your face as did everyone there. Yeah. You were not expecting that. And that devastated you. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, when we look back on that and, uh, and look at some of the stats and the data, it is, uh, you know, it, it is not debatable that the ninth congressional district had an impact on that. Um, you know, how were how, how you feeling then? And how has this maybe reinvigorated you into another way to serve? But like, do you have any kind of mixed emotions about this kind of having the potential of, of having a similar impact? I mean, people have talked about, uh, you know, the thing I fear selfishly of uh, a, a runoff, a Dan Bishop and him being attacked for some of the things that we know he's already being attacked for. And then we see another sweep of city council where there are no, no longer any Republicans in town. I mean, any, I know I just hit on a lot of stuff, but does any of that resonate with you? Sure. It does. That was a really difficult loss. Um, and, and, uh, you know, a couple of days afterwards, if you guys don't mind me talking about faith just for a second, a couple of days later, I was at my old high school, Charlotte Christian school. They invited me to come speak, uh, for a veterans, um, a veterans chapel service. And so I, I had 30, 40 minutes to speak. And this is just right after the loss. And I had a very physical pain in my chest for days. Uh, and I, t I stood up there with those kids and I said, you know what? I've, God has always led me somewhere else in my life. He's always gotten me through something. I, even when I didn't know where that was, um, he's always brought me through to the other side. And I said, so I've always remembered those times that I got through something because they give me strength for the next time that I'm in something, a, a situation that I, the unknown. And I said, so I said, guys, you know, to this chapel service, I said, this morning I woke up, I went downstairs. I said, I, I can't remember. I couldn't remember how to make coffee. And a couple of kids chuckled and I said, it is kind of funny, but I walked downstairs, did the same thing I do every single day. And I looked around my, 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 my kitchen, like where, where, where do I get the coffee grounds? Like what, what do I do next? Um, but I told, and I told those kids, I said, you know, you, you have people come in here and talk to you during chapel services all the time. I know cause I used to sit in these seats. I graduated from Charlotte Christian and, and they tell you these things about how, you know, God will be there for you. But, but it's, they're always telling you that from a point on the other side of whatever they've gone through in their lives. I said, I'm telling you right now, I have no idea what my tomorrow looks like. And I said, that's scary for someone who has, you know, is in risk management, someone who has a, a military background. I want to know what's coming. And I said, I, I don't, and that's scary. But even in the midst of all this, I can look back and I say, I've been through it and, and God's taking care of me. I'm going to get through that, through this too. And so I say all that to say, 
it, it brought me here to this day. Now that doesn't mean that, that, that I'm going to win. It doesn't mean I'm going to, who knows, right? I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know, but I do know that had those circumstances unfolded differently, I wouldn't be sitting here with you all today. And maybe being a part of this conversation, being a part of this race is having a positive impact. Maybe it means victory. Maybe it means I'm having a positive impact with the message. Maybe it's that I'm, I'm meeting people and giving them some hope for, 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 you know, how we can, how, how politicians can, can act and how can they can treat each other and things like that. Civility in, in politics. I don't know. Um, so I guess I'm kind of rambling there for a second. No, I apologize no, I, to your listeners. I, it just, it just, it, I remember how you looked that day. And I mean, I, I've, I could, it was clear as day that you, you were impacted. You were surprised. We were all surprised, but how it impacted you. And I just remember thinking when the opportunity for this election popped up, um, you were still absolutely ready to serve. You're really good at serving. And I almost kind of like, despite the long odds of doing it, I thought this would be a great thing to just kind of get you jump started back into it. And I've loved seeing you kind of bounce back and go at it full force. Uh, uh, you know, it takes a Marine to beat a Marine. That's right. I've heard. That's right. Well, my, you know, is that right, Larkin? <laughs> I just, I just hope y'all go to a runoff so y'all can keep uh, dwindling away each other's war chest, and uh, Dan can just keep. That's stacking great. Thanks chips. for that, man. I hate, I hate you. Well, my parents instilled in me as a kid, and I'm sure my mom and dad are probably watching this now. They, uh, they instilled in me this. It probably didn't even realize they were this sense of of duty, and uh, and so I think that part of that led me to serving in the Marines for 11 years. Part of that led me to wanting to serve the community on county commission, and so I look at this as. If you have the skills, the desire, if you, you know, you said that I was pretty good as a county commissioner, I appreciate that. If you've got some talent for something, then to a degree, you've got a duty and a responsibility to do something with it. And so, um, I don't know, I guess I just have that very much driven by duty and service to others. So here I am. Well, and, and I was somewhat joking, somewhat not. I'm openly supporting Dan McCready in this race, but I will say this. There's a lot of times where we end up in a general election where I look at the candidates from the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, and I don't feel great about either of them. Um, there was a situation in last year's ninth congressional race where I was openly supporting Dan McCready, as I still am, and I looked at Mark Harris and said, if he won, I'm not comfortable with that. I didn't feel good about him. You I were pretty vocal about I was pretty vocal uh, about that. anti-Mark which Harris I'm looking way better now you know, with that stance. <laughs> Certainly, I didn't have any sense of, of what was going on that he ended up um, having to bow out for. But I will say this. I think, again, we should hope as citizens of this community, state, country, whatever, we should hope to have races where we have two people that we think are in it, as Matthew said about Dan, are in it for the right reasons, are in it because they care about their community, um, are level-headed people that consider all sides. I do think, Matthew, you are that. And so uh, I will be certainly comfortable to see a Matthew like Rod, Matthew Rodenauer or Dan McCready general election Put because the I'll know either way we've got somebody going who who cares about our community regardless of how much I agree with them on the votes they take so um, best of luck sir thanks for coming on the podcast yeah, thank and, you uh, indeed we'll we'll have you back on in the general maybe we'll have you and, and Dan on to do a debate in the general oh that'd be good yeah we've, not, we've not done a debate yet wow that's yeah. a strong endorsement right there you, well, so you're saying Matthew will win the primary if you're looking for my name you can find it on Dan McCready's website <laughs> But I no, I I do hope he wins the primary. Wow! Thank yeah. you, that's thank a, you. That, sound, that well, sounds good. Our team is working their tails off to ensure that uh, that happens. We uh, we knocked on a th another thousand doors today. We'll hit fifteen thousand doors by the time this is all said and done. Two thousand. So. <laughs> Two thousand now. <laughs>
Good. All right, Matthew, sir. All right, gentlemen. Friend. We're yes, going to let sir. you go. Thank you very much. We're Appreciate it. We're going to dive into city business. Good. All right. Thanks, gents. All right. City Give the kids the best. I will. Hobson needs a uh, hug from his uh, Uncle Larkin. I will tell him I will see him soon. Yeah, that right. sounds creepy. All right. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> see you guys. All right. So, uh, Larkin. So, um, we're back on to city business. We had, uh, obviously shifting gears. So we had, we had a tough week in the city of Charlotte. Um, six days ago, we had a tragic loss of life at UNC Charlotte's main campus. Um, six people were shot. Two of those people lost their lives. Um, when a former student went on campus and went into a classroom and opened fire, and obviously we can't go through this episode without mentioning that. So I, I don't know. We still don't have all the details. We still don't necessarily know what the motivation was. Um, we do have an incredible story of heroism from one of those young men that lost their lives who tackled the shooter and prevented what un, almost undoubtedly would have been a larger uh, loss of life on that campus that day. He was buried yesterday with military, full military honors, which I think was deserved and uh, an incredible, um, just an incredible symbolism. Um, Riley Howell, I believe, was yep, his name. Riley and, Howell. Um, and, and both those young men that lost their lives sounded like they had incredible futures, were incredible um, young, young men, and uh, it was definitely a tough week. I was flying to... DC on behalf of the mayor to a climate conference, I landed, um, I landed at Reagan airport. And as soon as I turned my phone off of airplane mode, started getting all these messages from city manager and notifications. And, um, it had happened while I was in the air and, uh, it was fortuitous that I had gone and placed the mayor to this conference because she would have undoubtedly had to turn right back around and come home. Um, I certainly wanted to be here at, at the campus, uh, supporting everybody. I was not nearly as needed as the mayor. Um, decision was made to, to stay up at this climate conference in DC. But, um, you know, I think that the, the students have come together. They had thousands of students in the Halton arena for a vigil. Um, I believe the next day, the outpouring of support from the community has been incredible. Uh, everybody wearing their green, all the golfers out of the Wells Fargo tournament, wearing green ribbons on their hat and signing a card yeah, that was amazing. to the, to the university. So I, you know, I told somebody up in D.C., because obviously when everybody found out I was from Charlotte, they started asking me about that. Um, and I felt guilty. Like, I felt guilty because I feel like we've gotten to the point where when those things happen, if that shooting had been at, you know, anywhere University USA, um, somewhere halfway across the country, I think I'd have just swiped off the news uh, well, notification on my phone we're and wouldn't have hardly given it a second From thought. another part of the country, you'd see... I hate to say it like this, only two people died. I mean, it, it's barely in the news anymore because it's just part of the normal. So I, I felt guilty because when I saw that it was UNC Charlotte and at the time that I got that notification, the names of the deceased had not been released. Um, I immediately started thinking it could be someone I know. I don't know a lot of students on campus, though I've spoken to a couple student groups up there. But I know certainly, and you do too, a number of people who are on staff up there, faculty up there. Um, we didn't know at the time was it students, was it faculty? Um, so you immediately start going, "Oh my God, it could be, it could be Betty, it could be, it could be who all these people that I know up there." Um, and it felt different, and I felt more upset by it, and that almost made me feel guilty that I don't feel upset uh, or at, as upset as I should when these things happen anywhere, but 
but our city. Um, so I don't know. It was, it was, a kind of a, a range of emotions that I felt. Well, I'll tell you a couple things I felt. Uh, I felt all the same things you, you just said of kind of, I, I, I don't know that I felt that guilt in, I mean, I, you know, maybe in hindsight now I'm feeling it slightly because I did feel that and I didn't feel guilty, but you know, I think that's the, I think a lot of us today in this desensitized world watch the nightly news or whatever. And it's almost like we're watching a TV show, you know, like a, like a, like a, like a drama. And it's not until something happens in your backyard. You're like, Oh, this is real. And when you think about it, it's the exact same thing that's happened so many other places. Uh, you know, so when you put all that aside, I, um, a couple things I just can't stand is I can't stand when we put the face or name of the freaking guy who did this on any kind of media on anything. And I'm not saying it intentionally. Yeah. I mean, I, I but I'm just like it, being out there, like the, I have to believe in whatever kind of mental dysfunction exists out there that makes somebody do this, um, whether diagnosed or undiagnosed real or not. The fact that, they know their face is going to be plastered all over They're stuff. They're going to make a name for themselves. They, They're going they, to leave that a legacy That has to drive them to do that yeah. kind of stuff. I wish we could all, and it, this is a big flaw of today's media, where, they, where they're okay with, I mean, they know they have to get news. They, they want to get names. They have, you know, I'm fine with O'Reilly Howe. Right, and they want to tell let's, us. Let's let's for every second we were going to put the other guy's name. Let's put Riley Howell's face and what he did there, so we never forget him. We should immediately forget that guy that did this. Well, and I immediately. think I think there's value in trying to analyze who that person was and what might have led them to that point. I think you can do that without their name. I think you could talk about the shooter and reference them as the shooter. Sure. Uh, and absolutely. you could say yeah. the shooter was a former student at UNC Charlotte. The shooter had been, and, and I'm, we don't know a whole lot more than that. The shooter had withdrawn from school earlier in the semester, but was a, a, a student in that class. And certainly the name would leak out, but I don't think that on large platforms, there needs to be the face and the name. And, and I, people will say that glorifies the person. I don't know that that glorifies the person, but if what they were looking for was to be, to be known, to leave some sort yeah, that of a, glorifies, a, just like just just puts the spotlight on right. That yeah, and I think that a lot of them are likely people who feel marginalized, people who don't feel like they're important. No one knows who I am. Uh, no one cares. It wouldn't if I died tomorrow. No one would notice. Those are probably the type of feelings they're having, and they go, "Well, I know how people will remember me," and and we shouldn't. We should we should analyze how maybe they got to that point, and we can we can talk about the person the shooter in this situation but I, I i agree with you i wish that we could get away from the um i wish we could get away from the mugshot and the name being plastered everywhere i don't think that does any favors in terms of um trying to prevent copycat type crimes um so i mean this is the other the other problem is you know you and i did a couple interviews and looked at some data on this today you know, this is marks us somewhere. These two bring us somewhere close to maybe 48 homicides, uh, give or take one. I think I can't remember the exact number, but I mean, it's changing so fast. And I mean, that, that's a terrible, terribly high number. And uh, despite some decent efforts, which we need to ramp up because I think there's more that can be done. We don't have a really good sense of what to do, what to do going forward. Well, I think that the people who from a scientific perspective, from a professional perspective, analyze these types of things, uh, murder rates, 
that in cities all over the country will ebb and flow and they have trouble putting their finger on why it is. Anyone who says they know why a murder rate goes up in 2017 and down in 2018 and up again in 2019, which is what ours has done, is just guessing. Nobody knows for sure. And what I what I said today when asked about it was, you know, the question was asked. The city and CMPD say they're doing things to try to, um, to try to improve these types of situations and to to lead people away from a life of crime, to lead people away from resolving conflict with guns, to give people opportunities that put them on a different track than the track that might end up with you either pulling the trigger and ending someone's life or being on the the other end of that transaction. I think so many of those programs are in place and I think that they are planting seeds that will bear fruit much, much later. Those things don't work in a year. I mean, if, if CMPD and with the city, if they're, if we are trying hundred percent, if, work if we year. are trying to impact the next generation of people in this community, or we are trying to create job opportunities for people in their twenties and thirties that might be underemployed or unemployed, those things will impact someone's life in, in a year's time, but they won't change the landscape of the city in a year's time. So I, I we, think we didn't we, go from a massive number in 2017 to a really low number in 2018, in my opinion, for any other reason than random luck. Yeah. It was random luck because if there's one thing we can agree on, we don't know what it means necessarily like how to fix it, but we know that conflict resolution is a big problem. And in our day, we'd be out in the playground and we get in a fist fight and we didn't have the right conflict resolution, but our, our, that it was fist fights more, more than not. Now people have guns and they're pulling them out and they're shooting people. And, you know, I, I think it's a matter of it. Yeah. It, did you luckily find somebody in your conflict that, that, you know, either didn't have a, a legal gun or whatever it may be in that case, or, you know, what, uh, decided not to pull it. I mean, well, and all were shot and missed you by two inches, 48, 49, um, whatever the number is, each one of those is obviously an entirely different set of circumstances too. So to try to categorize all of our issue this yeah. year, uh, with one brushstroke is, is futile as well. I think that, um, you know, there's a multitude of things. There's domestic violence involved in a lot of these, and that's one whole set of issues. There's the conflict resolution. There's access to guns for people that in certain circumstances, not every circumstance, but in certain circumstances probably should have been prevented from having a gun, either illegally or legally. Um, in one of the cases this year, there was some, there was violence against a child. So, I mean, all of these are so different. Um, we There's not going to be one thing that fixes it all. Um, I do think that younger people seem to be more prone and maybe, maybe it's where you and I grew up, but I, but I do feel like people seem to be more prone to using a gun to resolve a conflict that, and it sounds like in your high school, as was the case in mine would have been resolved with a fist fight, which we're clearly not advocating that kids get in fist fights, but at the end of a fist fight, your feelings might be hurt. Your nose might be busted, but you're still there to go to school the next day. Right. And so I, I don't know. I mean, my recollection of high school was I think there were a couple kids at school that we kind of knew had a gun. I don't know that they brought it on campus or anything, but I think we looked at that as kind of cowardly. And I wish that that I wish that that mindset would come back. I don't think I I, I, I hear where you would be going. I think for us, it was more like crazy. Like, oh, my, that would be insane. Yeah. Like for someone to bring a gun and, and we, well, I, I grew think, up I in a small town where a lot of people had hunting guns, right. like literally in their car every day. And that was fine because we, we knew it wasn't like a, like, 
the conflict resolution, it just was never going to. It was never. It was never good. It wasn't good then. It's not good now that people couldn't figure out how to do it. But the 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 repercussions were just such smaller in in. But it was respect. almost the same way that we would look at, and obviously to it. And I agree. I do think we would have if someone had pulled out a gun at a fight when I was in high school. People would have just thought that was insane, in, insane. like literally insane. But I also think there was like some sort of of pride that we took in, in that, for instance, you wouldn't have five people fighting one person. I mean, there was just some sort of like a, an understanding yeah. like a pride that went along with, Hey, we're going to settle this like men. And again, we could have been better. I mean, we, sh- we should have been better. We shouldn't have been standing out in a park or a street or whatever fighting, but I, I don't know. It just, the idea that I think maybe people would've... were scared of the consequences of like that. Maybe, maybe I, you know, I'm just searching guess, my mind. And I'm now like, how do you, cause we it? had five people jump a guy. We, you know, it, it wasn't like everyone's like, Oh, it's gotta be one-on-one. It's gotta be fair. I just, we think, had rules in Winston yeah, Salem. <laughs> yeah, I bet you did. It was a little the more tobacco, organized. Big tobacco really yeah, it like laid it out. But I mean, I, maybe but it was now just if like, you're a kid, well, you're probably thinking if I don't show up to this fight with a gun, the other person's going to have one. And so then where does that leave me? But you see, you're, and see, so you're, you're, you're teetering closely to the part of the debate where I I need to stand up and defend because it's it's if you're going towards the route of like, okay, so the only option is let's get rid of all the guns. I don't think you would believe that's the case either, right? No. Because, I mean, who who are we going to really impact by getting rid of the guns? Well, I, I don't – for anybody, the, this debate has always been – well, has in the last decade or so, I feel like – become this binary choice that I don't think 80 to 90% of Americans believe in. I don't think 80 or 90% of Americans believe that there should be no guns or that everybody should have any weapon they want to have. I think that most people, and there've been polls that have said that even members of the NRA largely don't agree with the hardline stances of the NRA. So I, I think that there is a middle ground here that protects the second amendment, but also has safeguards in place through the process of getting a gun, through the process of yeah, trying like, to red flag people. Where can we agree? I think we can I agree I think it's that- the process of getting your getting possession of a gun, and it's the process of being able to red flag certain circumstances where someone might have legally gotten a gun and maybe should no longer legally be able to have well, a gun. They, I mean, I, I look, I, and I'm not the specialist on this front. I'm a gun owner and a, a, a adamant supporter of gun rights. But it, there's got to be things that you know, we don't all bristle up and go to our sides and we can find agreement on like, we have to agree that currently there are such things as illegal guns. People are using them in homicides. Like that can't be okay. I think we're all in agreement that that's bad. I think we can also be in agreement that there's certain levels in, in, of, of, you know, mental health deficiencies that people shouldn't have guns, shouldn't get guns. If they have guns, they shouldn't be allowed to have them anymore. You know, I'm not the expert. I don't know what that level is, but I got to believe that there's a certain level we can all agree on that's there. Well, and you're a tech guy. We've got to get ahead of things like people's ability to 3D print a gun. And that that is a thing now. But yeah, So, all right. So there's something I do understand, and that's a hell of a slippery slope when you start saying what intellectual property people can and can't share that can be utilized. I'm not saying I mean, there's not a I'm nuanced saying, debate to be had. Well, but, there's a very nuanced <clears throat> debate to be had But there is a there. debate to be had. Very nuanced. The fact is, people today can 3D print a gun, and so we've got to be thinking not well, only... Well, I mean, not... Is, don't... 
it can happen. This is not some brand Star, new this is not some Star Trek, and it's not idea. like you and I can just go do it at home tonight if we want to. We do not have the equipment to do that. There are people who could do it tonight if they wanted to. Could, but it'd be a hell of a lot easier to just go get a gun, a legal gun. Well, <laughs> today, either, way, either way, my today, point is... I'm not saying it's not going to go there eventually. Either, my, either way, my point is that, that that kind of technology will change the way that people have access to sure. ammunition or, fire or weapons or whatever. And so we've got to have that discussion. And the fact is that, that the NRA... And, and others have said this is a binary choice. If they, if they do anything, then they're going to – any, any attempt at any sort of reasonable gun discussion means they're going to come and knock on your door and take all your guns. It's absurd. The average American on either side of the aisle doesn't believe that, doesn't think that is what we should do. And if, but, but it has prevented us from having a discussion where we can find middle ground that protects the okay. Second Amendment so but, let's, but so let's say I'm on board. too. Let's say I'm on board with having that discussion because I believe – you and I know each other well enough to know that, all right, so they're not going to come get our guns, stuff like that. But there are some common sense things we could do. All right, so I'm there. But would you also then agree on the other side that even with the common sense stuff, or if you went on the other side of it and just said, all oh, guns are gone, it's it, in, in any near happen. and midterm level of reasonable time frame, it's only going to impact the law-abiding people who are maybe the people who can defend some of these things with it. And oh, by the way, I think the real core, maybe something that's changed in the 20, 25 years since you and I were describing days of our high school conflict resolution, you know, I, I got to believe the family has a role to play in this. There's a core element of the family that you no government is going to be able to to, to to duplicate or supersede that I, it just feels like it's getting more and more but lost. You could say all that about driving under the influence. And there are still people who undoubtedly drive under the influence and they cost people their lives, innocent people their lives. No one would, no one would say that we should stop. We should make drinking and driving legal, regardless of how drunk you are, should be able to drive. And, and then we should not, it should not be a crime to drink and drive. Even if you, I mean, no one would make that argument, and yet you clearly there are still people drinking and driving and, and causing a loss of life, and yet we've we've made a concerted effort to try to mitigate that as best we can. No one thinks that if we have better gun control laws that no person's going to illegally get their hands on a gun or that no person's going to die from gun violence, but I think a lot of us think that we could lower that number significantly. So it's not a matter of, oh, we fix all the problems and all the criminals become law-abiding citizens. But it's if you make it harder, if you put if you put hurdles in people's way, it will stop some of them, not all of them, but it'll stop some of them. So I, we've got to have the conversation and it can't continue to be an all or nothing discussion because neither side obviously is going to I mean, no no average person is proposing an all or nothing solution. And yet there are folks both in lobby and in, in special interest and in elected official positions that are painting it to their constituents as this all or nothing binary choice. And, yeah. it, and that's not what it is. No, I mean, I, look, it's, it's nuanced, it's hard, and there's a lot of slippery slopes in there, but I agree. It, this is, seems like something where we take, we need to take a little more of the politics out of it. Um, that was a, a, a sidebar obviously, but to, to put a bow on it, um, I think that I've been, I hate that, that we seem to be at our best as a city, a state, a country, uh, when the worst things happen. Um, but we do, I think, you know, if you look back in the wake of nine 11, how, how 
much the country came together. Um, I think this has has caused our city to realize what's really important. I think the city has has come together. Um, I wore green shirts on multiple days this week and had people stop me in restaurants and say, Hey man, I appreciate you, you doing that. I mean, they knew I was wearing green and, um, I don't know. I, I do think it brings out the best in us. It's a shitty way to bring out the best in ourselves, but, um, you know, we, we are Charlotte strong. I think that, um, uh, Chancellor Dubois has done a good job of being there for his students. Um, you know, making the best decisions he can make in the wake of something like that. And, uh, so again, I think if, if there's one person that people remember from the story, hopefully it's Riley Howell. Yeah. Um, and I, I hate that I can't think of the other young man's name right now, but, um, by all accounts, he was an amazing guy as well, uh, who was destined for great things. And, and now we'll never know. So, um, you know, remember those names. Don't forget them. So. Um, well, good. Um, we were here today, and and people will note that are watching the live stream that we um that we finished early, very early. It's getting kind of late now. The um the manager presented his proposed budget tonight, which is historically just literally a presentation. We will be back on Wednesday to ask questions about it. Some folks made some comments and a few questions today, but uh, we were in and out in about an hour, and um, there's a lot of stuff to like in it. A lot. I'll let you lead off with... I'll, we won't bury the lead. I'll let you lead off with the lead. Ladies and gentlemen of Charlotte, North Carolina, we have a large announcement for you tonight, and that is the city of Charlotte's budget... You're taking too long. ...will be, by all accounts, you heard it here first, <laughs> revenue neutral. And a horse lion weighs in with his thoughts. <laughs> No, I mean, that's a huge deal. You know, after all the hard work of last year, our first year going into a budget, I was forced to vote against it because there was a tax increase. Because I'm a man of forced. fiscal principles, Larkin. You were forced. I was forced by my principles. You got everything my you wanted. Principles. I got a lot of stuff I wanted, but there's one thing I didn't, and that's lower taxes. But this year, a revenue neutral rate, especially on the heels of what... The county has done with what is certainly looking like a material revenue positive and not positive in a good way, um, the revenue rate for their tax bill. You know, a lot, and I guess the bottom line is this. So they're all of us budget. talk about affordable housing. I mean, that jacking up property tax rates is certainly detrimental to a lot of folks in, in affordable housing. I think the manager did an awful lot. In this budget, very impressive presentation. We've got a couple of days to go through mounds of papers to really get into the details of it, but uh, it did a lot with a revenue neutral rate, and that needs to be applauded. Uh, so the county proposed budget, and, and again, we'll reiterate that both the counties and the cities are uh, the manager's proposed budgets. It is up to the uh, respective boards to make any changes and ultimately kind of ratify that budget. Um, the county's budget is two cents over revenue neutral. So the county is significantly lowering their tax rate. We're significantly lowering our tax rate based on the revaluation, but we are required to present to the public, both bodies are, what a revenue neutral tax rate would be, meaning what would the tax rate be if you wanted to bring in the exact same amount of tax revenue that you brought in the previous year? Uh, we are required to present that to the public so they know what it is. 
And then in the case of the county, they're raising it two cents above revenue neutral. They're not raising it two cents above what it used to be. Um, but you can't at that point then call that a tax decrease because it's higher than revenue neutral. It's a little slight it's, of hand. It's, well, it's, it's, it's a nuance that it's I like, think a here. lot of people look here in the community. It's not something that you're, you're paying that close of attention to. Ultimately you only care what the bottom line is on your bill. Um, yeah. So I do, I do think it's lost on a lot of folks and it was certainly would have been lost on me, I think before I got in here, but uh, ours is revenue neutral. That does not mean that everyone's tax bill will be the same as it was last year. It means some people's will be less. Some people's will be more depending on the value increase you saw on your property, but we are not increasing if this budget goes through revenue neutral. And I think it, I think it likely will. We are not increasing the amount of money we are taking in. It will be differently distributed across properties based on who has property that is worth much more than it used to be, or in some cases, people who's is not worth as much as it might have used to Redistribution be. Redistribution of, uh, of that, yes. So, and and I'll I'll be hes- I'm hesitant to pass judgment on what the county does or doesn't do because honestly, I I do think that there are things that unless you're in the weeds like we are on the city budget and are are going to be over the course of the next six weeks or so before we vote on it, five five weeks maybe. Um, there's a lot of those discussions we're not privy to. You know, I know they've outlined some of the things they want to fund with that additional revenue, and they're things that I think are really important. So um, I, I do think that it was important, and we knew even before the county manager proposed their budget that it was in all likelihood the county would go above revenue neutral. And that made me all the more um, set on trying to be revenue neutral because – as was shown again on a map today that flashed up on the screen for us in this PowerPoint, if you show a heat map of where the largest percentage increases are in property value, number one and two, it is nicely shared number one. And I'm right there. I mean, I'm the other district six is right Um, there next to it right here, folks, district six getting impacted. You you had a lot of, you had a lot of yellow. I had a lot of red. Um, My yellow feels worse though. So like at a finite level. Well, but there are, on the whole, more people in District 6 who are able to not bat an eye. And I'm not saying it's not important. Oh. No. The average the – average, We should redistribute no, that is the what average, The average household income in District 6 is markedly higher than in District 1. So to say that – and I'm not saying that that means you just throw all the burden on them. But if – if you or I get an increase of a couple hundred dollars on our tax bill, that's a different impact than if someone in certain parts of my district who is an elderly person on a fixed income gets that same increase. A lot of people think District 6 is all South Park. And I'm not even making a case that, you know, we should, just because South Park is more well-to-do, they should take the burden. There's a lot of places in District 6 over here towards, um, you know, at the end of the Matthews kind of Sardis in that area over there that people don't think uh, normally, Oh, that's not a district six kind of thing. That's going to, I mean, these are impacts that are a big deal, but I think the bottom line is we've got a good scenario on the city side with what the manager's done. And I think the big punchlines of what, what it, it seems to be is a revenue neutral rate and through incredible reprioritization of different funds, we have finished what we started last year with uh with the CMPD pay plan increase, we've got and CFD and and I was going to get to that, but from CMPD we finished last year taking care of a lot of folks one step short of extraordinary. Our longtime listeners will recall, but 
the top le- level thir- step 13 officers, sergeants um, took care of that this year. So, uh, t- by all the accounts I've heard, a lot of folks are really on board with that. Uh, the fire department, as you mentioned, also did some really substantial things there. Um, and then um, we pay also have for the people yeah, who make the least increases. in our city, it, it, uh, uh, setting a floor of fifteen dollars an 16. hour for sixteen dollars an hour. Sixteen? Are you sure? I thought it was fifteen. No, we were already right. at fifteen. Thought we were at fourteen, we're and f- we're going to fifteen. It's so one or the other. I'm pretty sure I'm right, but that's fine. Well, we're going to 16. 16. We were going, we, we had set it at 15. Uh, the city had worked its way up towards that 15. Now no one at the city will make under this proposed budget less than 16. Yep. Um, so we overhauled our capital, uh, process and not, and not only took care of things like a new fire station, a new, uh, uh, police station, but fully funded all, but the last two unplanned and, uh, and art and designed, portions of the cross Charlotte trail. That is crazy. That's 50 plus million dollars alone right there. Um, and then you look at a, a significant focus on, um, on, uh, economic development, entrepreneurship, particularly small business. Um, I, I mean that it, it is, a, it is truly a masterpiece. I might say it is extraordinary Larkin. Yeah, I was, um, I was very pleased. I mean, I think that the the manager did a really good job of addressing what the stated priorities of this council are, the stated priorities of this community are, which largely align with the priorities of the council. Um, the Crawl Charlotte Trail had been um, an embarrassment and a frustration, I think, to the entire city that um, was something that this manager inherited, but it's, he owns it now. And so you mentioned that this would fund through money that he found essentially, or squeezed out of, of the couch cushions of just about he's managing to find a way to pay for the, the sections that are designed and planned, which is all but two. And then the two that are in Northeast Charlotte that go to the Cabarrus County line, he's put money aside for those to start going through the planning and design process. So that when we find funds for those later down the road, uh, they'll be shovel ready essentially. So um, I do think that there were a lot of things that if you'd have told either of us yesterday, I think that all of these boxes were going to be checked in this budget and then made us guess whether or not the rate would have been the tax rate would be revenue neutral. We'd have said, there's no way you could do it. It really that. makes you think uh, it's amazing rate. what you can do with reprioritization in uh in a, uh, a budget of this magnitude when you, and you don't have to raise taxes. Um, I do want to, I wanted to sidebar real quick. Brian chimed in here. I'd said just a few minutes ago that it was, it was paining me that I couldn't think of the young man's name uh, besides Riley Howell. It was Ellis Parlier uh, was the other young man right. who passed away That's at right. NC Charlotte. Um, so I wanted to mention that. Thank you, Brian, for, for pointing that out on our live stream. Yes, thank you. Um, so listen, there'll be a lot more uh, to come on the budget in the so coming we'll days. So we'll meet on Wednesday, yeah. and that'll be our first chance to really – We got a lot of reading before um, then. Dig into it with the manager with some nuanced questions. We've got a, a couple hundred-page binder over there that explains what we got in a 45-minute PowerPoint today. But again, top line, um, you know – you go to bat a lot for our t- police department. I think we all understand that there's a a need for um, for to, for us to be at higher folks that we're going to lose a lot of people in retirement. Our uh, 
we need to grow the workforce there um, and have needed to for some years, I think this will help with that. Um, I often uh, try to take the mantle of, of going to bat for our firefighters. You know, the manager's done right by them in this budget, at least, again, at first glance. Uh, all of our employees, making sure that our people who are making uh, less at, at $15 an hour, that we're raising them up and giving them the opportunity for upward mobility. Um, you know, putting in the police stations and the fire stations that, frankly, we are overdue for given the growth that this city has experienced. I mean, when you think about 60 people moving here a day, it doesn't only put that much pressure on our roads and our schools and things like that, but on our, on our fire stations, on our police stations that have that many more people, um, in their jurisdiction. Uh, so these fire and police stations are much overdue. And the Carl Charlotte trail, that was such a big news story that, you know, how in the world did somebody, however many years ago, miscalculate by $77 million and the manager has gone through and said, let's take another look at all of our projects. Let's see if they're really going to cost what we thought they're going to cost, or if they need to cost what we thought they're going to cost, or do we need them? Maybe 10 years ago, we thought we needed something and we put it on the books and now we don't really need it anymore because times have changed and needs have, have shifted. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I thought, I thought he did a good job bringing us a, a strong starting point with a budget last year. I was, uh, significantly more impressed with yeah, this year. Not even, point. not even a comparison to this year. Well, good. So we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, let's now, just real now quick. To see what all of our colleagues, uh, do to this proposed budget. Yeah. Uh, might be a whole nother story. What did you think of game of Thrones last night? I mean, was it not never seen incredible? one of game of Thrones? I'm just going to keep bringing this up. Although I do know one thing about game of Thrones, which is that, um, their production crew, did not realize that there shouldn't be a Starbucks cup in one of the shots. Have you seen that? There's like a, so that's going around. I saw it on Facebook today. Somebody posted, they accidentally left like a Starbucks cup in one of the shots. Really? On the set. I didn't see that. Now I did point out to the person. So you're buying into this whole dragons thing, <laughs> but you're not buying into the idea that they might've had Frappuccinos. How do you know there's dragons on this thing, man? Cause I've seen like pictures. Oh, People post pictures on I Facebook. I feel like you watch There's it memes. and you just don't want to admit it. Why you keep would I telling me it? everyone else likes it. Why All would day I not you admit said, it? Uh, why do you keep talking about Dungeons and Dragons, which is not what it is? Although there are Dungeons and Dragons. I feel like there's probably this. some decent comparisons to be made. Well, Though I don't know a lot about Dungeons and Dragons. I'm going to tell either. you, it's going to go down Did as you play one of the Dungeons greatest and Dragons shows. when you were a kid? No, I always wanted to get into it, but I, I never You're had the more opportunity. You're of a Magic the Gathering guy? Sure. Sure. Never understood that either. Well, good. Anything else? We got it. We got a couple things coming up this week. People can attend, right? We do. Um, Charlotte Shout is going on right now, and I would highly encourage on Friday and Saturday if people want to see folks doing a Cirque du Soleil type show, repelling off of the top of the government center. They're out there practicing. We'll today. be doing it, Larkin and I. We will not. Well, I won't. You can do whatever you want. That's crazy. <laughs> um, but that should be pretty cool. On Thursday, there is a. Um, kind of a music roundtable discussion going on at Discovery Place. I believe that's at 10 a.m. And then you and I are recording a live audience podcast at Discovery Place at 11 a.m. Live R&D in the QC again? It's been a while. It's been a long time. Um, so people can, I think it's free. People can go on the Charlotte Shot website. They'll see the listing for that Thursday, 11 a.m. Discovery Place. If you're able to sneak out for your lunch break, if you work uptown or if you're, if you're free during the day, we'd love for you to come join us in the audience at Discovery Place. Um, we're going to be talking specifically about the Music Everywhere CLT initiative, which just launched uh, the study that was undertaken about Charlotte's music scene. That was published today, put out to the public. And um, so we'd love for you to come join us for that. 
and just check out the Charlotte Shout website even if you can't join us for our event because there are dozens and dozens of events going on. Um, started last week, going all the way through May 11th. Music, visual arts, performance arts, um, you know, inflatable 50-foot rabbits on the green. There's all sorts of crazy stuff going on all over the city, and um, and I hope that folks will go out and enjoy it. Don't forget your mothers. And then you're hosting a um, you're hosting a Charlotte Business Journal next gen clt event on thursday as well right yes that's right same day hosting that um it's at a place that can be found on omb i'm also doing a a thing at avid exchange a night with Tarek bakari tomorrow night the startup grind or yeah check that out too busy week don't forget your mothers this weekend I am headed to be with my mother at the beach this weekend. So am I. Hopefully not the same beach. <laughs> Your mother. <laughs> You're a moron. Sorry, guys. It's been an end of a long day. I couldn't resist that. I hope, I hope neither of my mothers listens to this podcast. <laughs> they don't. Well, my mom might. <laughs> All right, good. Well, I think that's it. We did it, Larkin. We did it. I suppose we did. All right, well. Another episode. Now that we're an hour and 10 minutes in, let's go ahead and wrap this Number 62. Let's wrap her up. We appreciate you all joining us. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. Whatever else you can do. And friend our podcast. Oh, and we've got, if anybody uh, knows how to watch Periscope on Twitter, we've got a basketball game coming up at 2 p.m. on Friday in the city basketball tournament. Yes. And uh, bad news. We got crushed in our first game. Yeah, budget was a lot stronger than we thought. <laughs> the budget department and finance was the uh, the hybrid team that whooped us. Terrible. Turns out they can shoot threes. Yeah. But uh, we Who hope did? to redeem ourselves on Friday, so check that out at 2 p.m. on the city's Twitter feed. Until next time, we'll see you.